Welcome to Tin City Limits, the show that brings you the inside story of how a small group of artisans is turning a neighborhood in Paso Robles into one of the hottest go-to places in California. It's the raw, behind-the-scenes stories of sacrifice, victory, and even failure. It's all part of being in the neighborhood, the neighborhood known as Tin City. This week, join us as we visit with Patrick Brooks. He's one of the partners in the distillery called Wineshine. Wineshine is crafting small batch spirits from local fruits, and after several years in the Tin City neighborhood, they're making some real noise in the world of craft artisan spirits. My name is Mark Wilson, and for the purposes of this story, I'll let you in on the fact that I grew up in the 60s and 70s with parents who religiously observed the 5 o'clock hour. It was the official cocktail hour. Two drinks before dinner, no more, no less, every night. Most often it was a brandy Manhattan, sometimes a gin martini. And after dinner on special occasions when we had company over, they'd break out the ice cream to make a kind of booze shake with brandy and cream to cocoa. It was called a Brandy Alexander and it was awesome. It was the Rat Pack era, the ring-a-ding-ding culture, lots of cocktails, and cigarettes for that matter. In fact, I don't ever remember a five o'clock when my parents didn't have both in their hands. Patrick seemed to understand. Well, first of all, I'm proud of your parents for waiting till five o'clock. Because a lot of people don't. They just say it's five o'clock here or there or everywhere and they just go for it. So that takes a lot of fortitude. Good for them. But it was a culture. By all means. It was a cocktail and cigarette, by the way, culture. Sure. And that's where uh, you know a lot of this comes from is that culture, that cocktail culture, right? So, you know, there's unlike a lot of things in American society, there's there's one 13-year period of time in history where alcohol was illegal, right? This is that prohibition right. Uh, yeah, absolutely is one of the most unique things to the alcohol beverage industry uh, in in the, in the whole wide world. There's nothing else like it. So, uh most countries would never dream to make alcohol illegal, but we sure did in America. So that whole culture really stemmed uh, from that period of time more than anything, right? I mean, people were consuming alcohol since well, our, our ancestors consumed alcohol in the form of fermenting fruits that right. were lying on the ground, right? So uh, that's which is also another one of the the premises for why we make wine shine today out of fruit. We make brandy out of fruit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that cocktail culture really did stem from prohibition in America, and so there's no question that these 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 icons, you know, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, and Frank's drinking his Jack Daniels with his cigarette in his hand, right? Like. Who didn't want to be that guy? Exactly. <laughs> so it was, it was the Rat Pack culture, and my parents—I don't know that they wanted to be those guys. No, of but it's certainly if you if you weren't doing that, you weren't part of that ringeting uh, culture. By all means, so that's a uh, uh, that's where a lot of it all stems from. And you know, making these cocktails in general, a lot of that comes from prohibition as well, because uh, during. The distillation process, you create other substances that are not palatable or poisonous, you know, methanol and acetone, things that professional distillers know how to, how to cut out. However, uh, 
during Prohibition, it was all about what's the biggest volume I can get, right? Right, so, right. So uh, a lot of those, that it was rot gut during Prohibition, right? This was, this was terrible stuff for you. And a great way to cover up that poison was making it into a cocktail. Sure. So, so a lot of it does stem from that, this whole cocktail mixology that we take for granted uh, today. Uh, and we, we loved going to uh, our favorite bar and enjoying a wonderful libation of all sorts of delicious crafted ingredients but uh but a lot of it originally was just to cover up terrible it's interesting you say that because as i said my parents every night had to have those two not one but two uh brandy manhattans but they made it with i think hartley's brandy it was some you know two dollar and fifty cent for the bottle I'm probably awful stuff. I forget. We, we talked about this before. Where you grew up. Cause, I grew up in Michigan. Michigan. Okay. So Michigan, like, yeah, because the northern central part of the country, like Wisconsin drinks uh, right. 85% brandy, but, of the brandy. Yeah, Wisconsin's main, the brandy capital of America. Yeah. Well, we, we drove to Wisconsin <laughs> to buy the brandy. My dad would fill the, fill the trunk of the car with, with boxes of brandy, car, uh, you know, and we'd drive across state, which I think was illegal, but. I won't who, tell anyone. Who cares? <laughs> well. That's it was, there's a lot of brandy produced up there because there's a lot of fruit produced, and that's why it was so unusual when I found out that I think a Manhattan is actually normally made with whiskey, right? With rye or, or whiskey? It, uh, a lot of people do, but not necessarily. You know, you're making it with brandy. We make a brandy Manhattan, and we make a, a whiskey Manhattan as well. So really, what it comes down to is you're going to distill whatever's locally abundant, okay. right? That, that's that's been. Uh, the case throughout history and so when you live in Paso Robles and you have access to some of the most world-class uh, you know, Grenache and Straw and Morved and you know, around why not distill that into brandy so if but it makes sense if I'm in Kentucky why I'm using corn right to make bourbon, right so you, whatever's locally abundant and so uh, I will give your parents a lot more credit for uh only having two as well. A lot of people exceed that by quite a bit. So, and you know, the thing is, it's really not their fault. They don't put nearly enough in one of those little glasses. So, right. can't it was, hold it, it against was, them. It was filled with ice. It yeah, was, it was a whole the, thing. that so ice takes up all the space. Takes up so. all the space. We have to have two. Well, you have to. I always say ice is the most important part of a cocktail, right. too. My dad used to see that, say that, see? Yeah. You can always refill it. So. Exactly. All right. So, let's, let's talk about you for a second. How does a nice young man like you... Yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot of credit. I don't know if I deserve how that. Is, how, how does a nice young man like you end up in, in the spirits business? What, what got you here? That's a loaded question as well. So there's, uh, uh, there, there's five of us in this, in this company, right? There's, some of us have been distilling for years, like Mark has, uh, for instance. And, and uh, for me, it was visiting George Washington's distillery and Grist Mill uh, in Virginia on Mount Vernon. That's when I got jazzed about it. Okay. So if uh, uh, I love history, right? And if George Washington can be the largest distiller in America, why, why can't wine shine? So why not? Uh, <laughs> well, we don't want to be the largest. That we just want to be, make quality, right? Quality over quantity. So he made uh, a significant amount of whiskey, uh, corn whiskey, on Mount Vernon. And so uh, when I was visiting his house and his grist mill and distillery, and, and saw the entire process where. Uh, or that he's utilizing the, the hydraulic power from the, the creek that flows by his grist mill to turn these massive wheels and grind all that corn uh, so, he, so he could make 
make beer prior to a fermentation or right. prior to, right. to distillation. Uh, you know, th- that was that was awesome for me. I was so excited about it. It was amazing to see that process and how uh, how these individuals back in the late 1700s produced this whiskey and how the reality is that there's no real def- difference at all in the process today as there was then, then, right? I mean, sure, the equipment's different. Right. They had a lot less copper than, than ours still has. Right, right, right. So, but the, the chemistry behind it is the same. You know, this is, it's just kind of the next thing you do after you make wine or you make beers, you distill it, right? I, I, winemakers don't love it, but I always say, you know, brandy's what wine wants to be when it grows up one day. Ooh. So, <laughs> and uh, sounds like fighting words to me. <laughs> so, so you end up having this experience, and that turns you on to the whole idea of making it yourself. You know, I thought it was. I thought it was. It was really interesting. I was blown away by it. I, I wanted to learn more, and then back here in good old Paso Robles, of course, our uh, our dear friend Don. He's the uh, assistant winemaker at Saxon Winery, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. his uncle used to have a little vineyard right next to Saxon, and Don would make his his wine there. And some friends would go out and help him bottle some of the wine, small lots. And there was this guy, my business partner, Mark, who had been dabbling with distillation for for some time. And he had been, uh, uh, he he grew up in in Pennsylvania making fruit wines when he was like eight or something. So it was <laughs> well, that's what they do back there, ain't it? That's exactly right. So <laughs> it was like blackberry wine. You're eight years old now. You get in them woods and make some liquor. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what he was. He always heard. I right. think so. Yeah. So you're getting you know, old. Mark had been experimenting, right? And uh, and we discussed uh, this whole process, and, yeah. and and it just makes sense to after you make wine. Distill it into brandy. Sure. Why not? Why so, not? Why not? So why not? So, and, and not a lot of other people in that space. No. I mean, if you if you compare the two, a lot of people make a wine. Not a lot of people go on that next step, right? No, there are, there are very few distillers in America. I, I, the number keeps rising significantly all the time nowadays. Like, But uh, 40, 50 years ago, there were four distilleries in yeah, America, right, right. I believe. So. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, four, right? I mean, that's nothing. So still to this day, you have a handful of distilleries that produce the, the bulk of all the, the products on the market. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize when they go buy their favorite whiskey off a shelf that it's, there's a great chance that it's just produced at a huge distillery in either, uh, uh, like Illinois or, or, or Canada, even Canada produces a bunch of spirits and, uh, it's it's the same thing that that the southern bottle over here is just maybe finishing some different casks, right? Or uh, some some very uh, minute detail that's Slight been altered, yeah. yeah. But and in the packaging, of course, is probably the the most significant detail there. Sure. So, uh, but there's you know, there's been spirits produced all over America for a long time. Like I mentioned in Canada too, um, you know, when we had the the American Civil War, uh, the North burned all the whiskey houses in the South. There was one place to supply the North and the South with whiskey, and that was Canada. So they, they yeah. were they were dealing to both sides, right? And Those so, Canadians, and to the, and it really boomed the Canadian whiskey business, right? So even to this day, it's massive. But uh, to go back to the point, like yeah, forty years ago, you know, you have a handful of distilleries in the whole country, 
and uh, only in the last uh, really twenty ish years and really last decade have you seen this boom of more of many more distilleries. Mm-hmm. However, there are more wineries in California by a lot than sure. there are distilleries in the entire nation. Sure, without a doubt. So, uh, yeah. so I want to talk about you though, and and your partners, and sort of the why. I mean, okay, so you go and you visit this place back east, visit a distillery, and you get turned on by it. You meet Mark, and he's playing around with you know distilling things sure. in his garage or wherever he's doing it. But how, where did it at, culminate? Yeah, right? At some point in time, what was, what was the moment? The light bulb goes on, and you go, "Damn it, we gotta, we gotta do this." And why? And I mean, and and. Again, if you're going to do anything, make wine. That seems to be, you know, let's do that. Seems like that's doing pretty that's well. That's what we do in Paso Robles, right? That's yeah. what we do. You guys, at some point, went, nah, I think we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do spirits. So t- tell me about that, how, you, how that came to pass. I really would say that it's no different than what anybody's been doing for 2,000 years, right? Arguably three. It's... it's uh, this is some distillation that's been taking place for a long, long time. Yeah, but what so, turned you exactly, on? Exactly. Right, what turned us onto it? So, our my friend Don goes, "Hey, we should start a distillery and, and a I, band." Yeah, and I go, <laughs> "Oh, well, I don't really know what that entails, but hell yeah, let's do that." I won't go to grad school right now. Like, I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, it, we all just kind of dropped everything else and started a distillery right mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a great idea at the time. So you eventually get open here in Tin City. Um, what's I mean? What's the what's the overall goal? And and I, I don't mean just we want to make good spirits. What did you really want to accomplish at the end of the day to differentiate yourself? Well, the the goal is uh, is to do just that to be as different as possible. And so, how do you do that though? Well, in like I said. You distill what's locally abundant. It's grapes here. It's grapes in France too, right? But what we're dealing with here is uh, this this process of, of saignée. So it's the oldest method of rosé production on earth, right? When uh, great winemakers want to uh, uh, have a, a heavier mouthfeel, richer, more velvety kind of uh, texture in their wine and, uh, and more extraction, they'll bleed off like 10 to 30% of the juice. So you have more skins in contact with less juice. And it, it, it adds so many wonderful components to their wine what's bled off is rosé by all definitions mm-hmm. and so uh we happen to be in kind of a unique position because one of our business partners as i mentioned he's uh one of the winemakers at saxon and saxon doesn't make any rosé whatsoever so uh a hundred percent of that juice was available for us these guys were f- dumping it down the drain you know, they're, you water the, the vineyards with it, whatever. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so yeah. It, it wasn't going into any rosé program. And then we get a lot of juice from guys like uh, like Denner or, or Terry Hogue. And they do make some rosé, but they don't need... It's a lot of rosé. It's a lot of rosé, yeah. right? Yeah. What are you going to do with that much rosé, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so instead, uh, we'll take what's what's left over. So it's... It's not like we're making grappa using all like the, mm-hmm. the waste product, all the mm-hmm. stems and skins and seeds, right. the tannin-rich, harsh components of the grape. Right. And I think it's the best use of a waste product, grappa. 
Uh, but we don't do that here. This is just that, that, that fresh pressed juice that's coming off. And uh, I think that's what's really unique about it is the fact that we're distilling these varietals like Cabernet Franc, like, 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 like Syrah, like Grenache. Nobody really does this anywhere else in the world because if you're in parts of France, you're, you're grow- you want these aromatic uh, white wines, but also it's because of the cost that goes into it. Mm-hmm. It's so much cheaper to make brandy out because you have to distill this, this from this big volume to this little itty-bitty volume. Right. It's so much more cost-effective to use a cost-effective varietal. Nobody in their right mind would distill Westside Pass Robles Grenache unless it, it ended up working out. We're, we're, we're distilling this, uh, this extra product that's just extra for these guys. Right. So, so we bring this Grenache in. We distill the alcohol out of it. That's our brandy. And then what's left over is pretty much water, some pigments, and it, it's uh, full of nutrients, right? It's great stuff to go water the, <laughs> the, 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 right. the, the grounds with. So we collectivize all that, and then uh, all that, that extra water is brought back to those wineries. So nothing's getting wasted you know, besides you. Right when you're when you're here, uh, but uh, <laughs> or when you take a bottle home oh, with you, oh yeah. yeah so, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that's the most unique thing about this is if uh, we didn't have these specific connections and we uh, were paying what we should be paying for the quality of fruit that we're getting, you know, we wouldn't even be in business. This would be hundreds of dollars a bottle. Well, and that's I mean, you, you're bringing up the, the things like cost and uh, you know the cost of producing what you what you produce, and and I'm I, I'm interested in in you guys and and your motivation uh, for doing it in the first place. Guys go into business. People go into business for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is they want to make money. They think they're going to be multimillionaires um, yeah. by doing what they do. Right? I mean, we see that every day. Sure. Um, other people do it because they have a calling. They just feel like this is what they need to do. So what? It's just you guys... really, really fun. Okay, that's good. <laughs> it's a blast, man. That's, that's There's good. Nothing like this. I in mean, the it's got to be a little bit. Pro- you got to make something. You have to write or. Oh yeah! At the end of the you day, you better be making less something. money going out, more money coming in. Sure. So the product has to be good. By all means. And we have to let people know what we do here and 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 why we're doing it and and why it's different. Yeah, it, I mean, this is a beautiful representation of this Westside Pass Robles fruit, and I'm sure that if we weren't doing it, maybe somebody else would be. But it's it it really. But is. maybe not because it sounds like it's more difficult. It sounds like the whole process is hard. I mean, none of it's easy. That's a fact. But it, it's it is just a blast the whole way through from start to finish. So when what's you, your favorite part of it, though? My favorite part of it was just the other day when you know we've had our our, our licensing here now for like three and a half. Ish, ish years yeah, yeah and so just the other day mark mark and i are in the back and we pull out our rye whiskey that we made from uh barrel house uh wash that we we distilled years ago the same day we pulled out uh this beautiful uh brandy it's a it's a blend of some saxum dinner and terry hoag juice and uh and we blended that together and this was the product of of years of waiting for this right because uh, you know, we keep looking at the barrels, whispering sweet nothings to them, <laughs> saying, come on, baby. Come on. You know you want to hurry up. Daddy wants to taste you. Come on. So, but, and, and they just take forever. And so, so it's, it's so great to, to see the, the uh, no pun intended, the fruit of your efforts. Because, yeah, it, yeah. you know, like, uh, uh, and, and how, how 
this product culminates in, in a as a finished product. It's amazing to to try that. So we were just blown away by going, man, did you ever think that would be that great that many years ago? Yeah. And we have other products that are in here. Like we do uh, uh, this 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 fun project with Herman's Story Winery mm-hmm. where we make a Bien Nacido Grenache brandy and it's aged in this beautiful, some, some toasted uh, French oak casks and uh, and we won't see those for uh, uh, like for years, man. And so that's really something else to us. Is, is this might be six years away from being completed. Wow. How, what has transpired over that period of time? You know, what's transpired over the last three and a half years that we've been making the, right. these other products. It's right. really, uh, it's, it's something else. It's, so, so what can go wrong in this whole process? What, have you ever had a, you know, maybe early on, just make a bad batch for lack of a better way to put it? Uh, big mistakes? Uh, that, no, you know, like we, we've never really produced out of the still anything that we didn't love. And we, we've experimented, experimented with some crazy things. Like we've distilled fennel juice fermented and distilled fennel what and and uh i mean we kind of knew that wasn't going to be great though <laughs> it just didn't it didn't sound great yeah so uh, i don't know anything and that doesn't even sound good to me <laughs> yeah. like I said, let's, let's, you go, hey let's let's do cauliflower yeah cauliflower right i mean do wh- whatever so like so so we were like hey let's play with fennel so we did that and so uh uh that was that was interesting uh, but anything that we've intended to to be a, a finished product to, to come to go all the way through, you know, we never put anything bad in that still because as as bad to the bone as that still is back there. I mean, as as that thing's just sexy, right? Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It is a beast. It, it's over the top, but it doesn't really matter what kind of still you have. It's what you put into the still that's going to generate a good product it's every like, time. It's like to a musician that would be like an instrument you just had to get your hands on. Oh, for sure. Everybody says that looks like a musical instrument. Well, it does. Okay. It's got a little bit of a, looks like a couple of flutes there, and I don't know what that is over there, but yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous piece of equipment. Sure. Sexy as hell. Sexy, and but really, if you have sexy wine going into the still, you'll produce some sexy brandy. If you have a sexy beer wash going into the still, you produce sexy whiskey. That's what it comes down to. It's really about the product into the still. But no mistakes along the way? I mean, you didn't do anything at any point in time where you would just went, oh, my God, that's, that's the worst. That's the worst. We can't right? let, so, don't, don't tell anybody. Don't let this out. No, we, we've been so picky about everything that goes into the still in the first place. Okay. Because, A, I don't want to mess up and have to clean it. <laughs> you know, like, get in there and you know, scrub it up. Like, like it's, a, it's, it's a hassle if you do. So we've only really put quality products in and to get quality products out. Now, like I said, that fennel, a little different deal. That was worth trying. I don't think anybody's ever distilled fennel on earth before. So it was like, right. let's try it. Right. Why not? And, that, that, uh, uh, that, and that's a lot of fun. You know, like the, the creativity behind it. Like we, we did, I, I would say uh, when we first got rolling, we made like about 250 different tinctures in mason jars of all these different herbs and botanicals, you know, uh, sage, cardamom pods, angelica root, wormwood, gentian root, vanilla pods, you know, orange peels, sour cherries, whatever. And some of those, yeah, were awful. That's when I, it's like, that's when I learned I do not like cardamom at all because <laughs> I couldn't get the flavor of cardamom out of yeah, my no. mouth for like a, like a couple days. Right. So, or, uh, or that ginger is the most spicy thing in the world when you have a milliliter of that tincture on your tongue. Holy smokes. But uh, so some of those things 
yeah, we were like, we don't like this. But that's why we made all those different tinctures first so we could see what individual product we do like and what we don't like. It's where we learned we love hibiscus flowers. Let's talk a little more about being here at Tin City. Um, do you find that it makes you better at what you do, being around so many entrepreneurs that are just next door? Oh, that's one thing I love about Little Tin City is everybody is uh, is so interested in their craft and nobody's doing the same thing, right? Everybody has, has what, we have 18 wineries or something here? They're all doing their, their own niche thing. Right. Nobody's making right. the same wines at all. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's an inspiring, wonderful thing that everybody's doing something totally different. And it's this little microcosm of really the best of what the whole area has to offer because of the passion that people bring to it. It's not really even so much a passion. It's an obsession, right? We have to be doing this. Don't go away. We'll have some final thoughts when 10 City Limits return. Making something from nothing isn't always easy. That means looking down a road that others tell you not to take and taking it anyway. It's knowing where you come from and knowing where you're going without ever being sure you'll actually get there. It takes fierce loyalty, perseverance, courage, and an unwavering commitment to doing things right. Tin City Cider's made of these things, built on the dogged work ethic and the humble nature of their three owners, who spend their best days turning apples into art. Tin City Cider's crafted with an appreciation for Mother Nature's hard labor, with the sunlight of the trees and the roots seeking minerals. So the next time you're looking for a hard cider that emboldens the spirit of every craftsman that's ever made anything good, crack open a Tin City Cider. See them online at TinCityCider.com or visit their tap room at Tin City in Paso Robles. Tin City Cider Company, the ultimate cider experience. It's been said of distilled alcohol that the 16th century created it, the 17th century consolidated it, and the 18th century popularized it. That may be true, but what's also true is that wine shine is taking it to a whole new level. Tin City has a reputation for residents who test the limits of their craft. Wine shine is clearly no different, but we're just getting started with them. So next week, we'll continue our visit in part two, and we'll find out more about wine shine was not an option for Patrick and his partners. It was a must-do. For more information about Wineshine, go to wineshine.com. For more information about Tin City, go to tincitypaso.com. Tin City Limits is recorded live at Tin City and sponsored by Tin City Cider Company. Executive produced by Andrew Jones and Mark Wilson for Crush Media. You'll find this program and other Tin City Limits shows online and available for download at crush925.com. For Andrew Jones, I'm Mark Wilson. Thanks for listening.